Hello, and welcome to this virtual candidate forum. I'm Eleanor Levin, member of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County, and I will be the moderator for this forum. The League of Women Voters is a volunteer, nonpartisan organization that neither supports nor opposes any party or candidate. The League does take positions after considerable study of issues and acts to influence decision makers on those issues. We work not to not only register voters, but also to provide them with information on issues to assist their participation in government. Membership is open to anyone 16 years of age or older. Join us. We can use your time, your talent, and your financial resources. League members advocate and inform voters. Democracy works best when more people are involved. The views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates. All viable candidates have been invited to participate. The format for the event will be as follows. After candidates have been introduced, they will each have two minutes for opening remarks. We will then present questions to them. Our schedule of questions comes from our polling of league members. Please note that we are unable to take questions from live stream comments during this event. Each candidate will have one minute to respond to each question there will not be time for rebuttals. We are scheduled for 40 minutes. Near the end of our scheduled time for this event, each candidate will have two minutes for closing remarks. Speaking order will be rotated throughout the evening. A league member, Polly Horton, is our timekeeper tonight. She will use cards to alert candidates when time is about up and when it is up. Tonight, we have two candidates running for a nomination position in the June primary race to set the fall ballot for the Iowa House District 85 race. It's Christina Bohannon and Vicki Lensing. Let's begin with your two minute opening statements, starting with Christina Bohannon. Hi, uh, I just first want to thank the League for putting this on and also for your amazing advocacy work for so many years. And I also want to thank uh, everyone who showed up tonight. I know this is a difficult time and I appreciate your being here. So first, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm a law professor at the University of Iowa. Uh, I've been here for 20 years and uh, I research innovation and economic growth and constitutional law. Before I went to law school, I was an environmental engineer with the Florida Department of Environmental Protection where I did compliance and enforcement work in the water quality division. I believe in progressive values because I've lived them. I grew up in a trailer in rural Florida. Neither one of my parents graduated high school. My dad was a construction worker and he suffered for years with emphysema. When his health insurance was canceled, we lost everything. Fortunately for me, public education changed my life and gave me opportunities I never could have imagined. When I moved here 20 years ago, I immediately came to appreciate Iowa's progressive values. You know, it's a support of public education was a source of pride. It was a pioneer state in civil rights. It balanced business interests with a decent wage and good collective bargaining laws. But over the last several years, we've been losing the values that make Iowa, Iowa. The legislature has disinvested in education, healthcare, worker rights, and the environment. People all over the state are suffering. What we're doing isn't working. Representative Linsing has served this district for 18 years. We all should be grateful for her service. But there are times when, with no disrespect to anyone who's gone before, 
we realize that what we've done in the past isn't working for our future. With everything going on in our country and in our state, with all of the challenges we currently face, I believe this is one of those times. I look forward to talking about important issues today and I hope to earn your support. Thank you. Thank you. Next, Vicki Lensing. Thank you and good afternoon. My appreciation to the league for putting this on. My name is Vicki Lensing and I'm running for re-election in House District 85. I was born and raised in Iowa City. I'm a fourth generation Iowa Cityan. I grew up in a family business working alongside my grandparents, parents, and siblings. I graduated from West High School and from the University of Iowa. After my marriage to Michael Lensing, we began our business, Lensing Funeral and Cremation Service, where we both continue to work today as we are joined by our son now. There I started bereavement education and support programs, which I continue to facilitate. I am now married to Richard Templeton, a retiree from the University of Iowa. Together we have five children and seven grandchildren. I was first elected in 2000 and have been proud to serve the district. As a citizen legislature, it is sometimes difficult to balance responsibilities of your job with those of being a legislator, but I work hard to be available to my constituents. Education is an important priority to our state and area from preschool through higher ed, and I have vigorously supported funding over the years. I've advocated for free treat, fair treatment for workers in Iowa. I worked on equal pay for equal work and whistleblower protection. I fought for open government through meetings and records laws. I keep working on voting laws and accessibility for voters. I've been part of several investigations which resulted in legislation protecting Iowans from further abuse, both by government and by business. I appreciate the opportunity today to share my responses to questions on current issues facing our city, county, and state. And I look forward to your questions. Thank you so much. Thank you both. Now let's turn to our questions. Recall please that you have one minute to respond to each question. Our first question is, we are in difficult times with the coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. The next legislative session may be unlike any in recent history. If the Iowa budget is severely stressed, what areas would you deem absolutely necessary to maintain at least at current level? Vicki Lensing, let's have your answer first, please. That's an excellent question and one that I anticipate we will have to try and balance. We have so many priorities that the state funds, whether it's healthcare or education. Uh, I know we've looked at taxes are going to be down because people aren't working as much, because people aren't driving, we don't have gas tax coming in. So I think in our, our budgeting, we will have to, we stopped mid-session. And so we haven't completed the budget for this year. So when we go back, this will all have to be taken into consideration before we can move forward to put forth the budget for next year. I think picking priorities is going to be very difficult. Education looks different than when we left session. And you know, I, I'm hoping schools can reopen in the fall, but we have no guarantees. And so we have healthcare pressures. We have people who are not working and are, are needing benefits. There are so many things that are, have been added to the mix to consider that I, I think it's going to be, we're going to open a new chapter when we come back to start over again. So everything we've done won't count the way it did when we left. Thank you. Christina Bohannon, your answer. Yeah, thanks. Um, 
know, that that's right. I, I, things are going to look very, very different. So I think we have to be really smart and we have to think uh, creatively about how we're going to handle the budget. Um, first of all, I'll just say that my priorities uh, after COVID or my priorities before COVID, because I think what COVID has done is exposed inequities that were already there, inequities caused by disinvestment in education, healthcare, worker rights, and those kinds of things. And so, you know, I think it's gonna be really important that we try very, very hard to keep current levels of uh, funding for those uh, at, at least. Um, and those, and yes, those are gonna look very, very different, but we're gonna have to work really hard because our kids have to be educated. We can't just not educate them. Um, the other thing is we're gonna have to look hard for ways to increase revenue. And that sounds difficult at a time like this, but we have been giving away hundreds of millions of dollars in tax credits to large corporations. Uh, we've talked about reviewing those in the past. Uh, I think it's high time that we really think about those. Um, and and, and you know, we're, talking, we're talking a couple hundred million dollars in refundable tax credits alone. So we need to take a look at that and that can actually increase uh, some, some money to the state budget. Thank you so much. Our second question is, is as follows. Iowa, especially rural Iowa, suffers from a shortage of doctors. On Sunday, April 19th, the Des Moines Register featured a story about immigrant physicians living in fear of being deported. What is your response to this situation? And what is your position on licensing of foreign trained immigrant medical professionals? Ms. Bohannon, you have the first response this time. Right. So I think that we need to encourage immigrants in Iowa in every way that we can, to be honest. I think they are a very important part of our community. Uh, they are the only place where our population is really growing. And so uh, we really need to encourage them. I've been very active here with the Center for Worker Justice, which does a lot of work with immigrant communities um, and making them feel welcome. Uh, working on things like wage theft and other types of issues that I think are crucial uh, for, uh, for protecting immigrants here. With regard to healthcare, absolutely. Um, we do need to encourage uh, doctors to come here, physicians of all kinds, including immigrant <coughs> physicians. And uh, I think that funding uh, is helpful. You know, we, right now, the privatization of Medicaid has meant that we are not uh, funding providers at adequate levels, and that's gonna be a disincentive for physicians of all kinds uh, to practice, especially in rural areas where uh, they are not getting reimbursed uh, in, in, in a timely fashion or in an adequate way. Thank you so much. Ms. Lensing, your response. Thank you. <clears throat> a shortage of doctors is something that we have been experiencing over the last few years, not only doctors, but nurses and pharmacists. And we have been looking for ways that we can either do forgivable loans or find help them find places, especially in rural Iowa, where there is a shortage and where some of those programs have worked, some have not, and they haven't necessarily been enticing to those healthcare professionals who come in with huge debt because of their professions. So I, I think in terms of, of immigrant physicians, that's something that we need to continue to invite immigrants into our, our state and find ways. I think we've worked through smaller communities who need them, who will help provide housing and incentives, even offer to help them pay off some of their loans. I think we need to continue to look at that and see what we as a state can do to bring more healthcare professionals to our state, especially during this time. I think. You know, we live in Iowa City where 
we have those advantages of having plenty of healthcare providers around us. And we need to understand the consequences or the challenges of rural Iowa and that they don't have those same advantages. Thank you both. <clears throat> Our next question asks, how do you think the state of Iowa can better fund and address the needs of our most vulnerable populations? How can we ensure that state dollars go to those most in need? Vicki Lensing, you have the first response. Well, that is that too is an excellent question. And I think that's one that we in the legislature have struggled with, um, not only budget-wise, but how to identify those vulnerable populations and then find a way to get money to them. We certainly have been partnering with nonprofit organizations over the years in this. And probably during this time, we are seeing more nonprofits try to step up, but they are suffering the same challenges of funding that we are seeing even at the state level right now. So I think in ways of doing that is to continue relying on some of the nonprofits, uh, whether they be churches or organizations in towns that can help us connect. Sometimes people are afraid to step forward to ask for help. And so sometimes relying on some of these non-governmental organizations is our way to find them and to be there for them. In terms of dollars, you know, with the budget, it's it's difficult to figure out where sometimes the dollars come from. But there again, I think in partnering, we could match our dollars to some of the private dollars that are going to assist these vulnerable populations. Thank you for your response. Christina Bohannon. So that's a, that's a great question and it's something that, that I care about a lot and I've worked on a lot. I've worked uh, at the university with diversity, equity and inclusion efforts and really working on first generation students and, and others uh, less vulnerable and, and also and more vulnerable. And also, uh, like I said, with, with labor, with Center for Worker Justice and other, other things. So um, I'll just say a couple, couple of examples. You know, I think, that, I think that if you're really active with local government and in these local organizations, it's actually not that hard to identify people in need. Um, you know, I, I see them all the time, um, and I think that there are a few ways that, that we can work on that. One is to uh, increase uh, the state supplemental aid to education and provide differential uh, funding for schools who have a disproportionately high number of low-income students, for example. Another thing we can do that really doesn't involve the state uh, with a lot of giving a lot of resources is to, to um, go after wage theft and to go after misclassification of employees because there are a lot of employees who are re re regular employees who are being misclassified as independent contractors. That means that they don't get the compensation they deserve and the benefits, and it also means that the state doesn't get the tax revenue from them. Thank you. We're going to uh, change topic here to talk about water quality and soil because they remain priority concerns for Iowa's future. Nutrient runoff contributes negatively to the Delta and the Mississippi River. What measures do you advocate to address nutrient and soil runoff? Uh, our first response from Ms. Bohannon. So um, this is an issue I care about a long time. I, I've cared about a long time. I uh, you know, was an environmental engineer. We talked a lot about water, a lot about runoff. Uh, I worked for the state of Florida Department of Environmental Protection for you know, a long time in, in water quality. So this is near and dear to my heart. Um, so what do we do? So first of all, uh, you know, nitrate, phosphorus, those are really big issues uh, for runoff. It's causing all kinds of problems, not just to the Gulf of Mexico, but right here in Iowa. Uh, we have beaches that are closed. We have drinking water uh, that's not undrinkable in the Amanas and other places. We have a lawsuit in Des Moines. You know, this is a huge problem. 
we need to uh, revise the master matrix. Uh, right now, for, for, for your runoff, we have in CAFOs, we have um, people who are getting you know, 30 points on the master matrix for putting a roof over their uh, storage area, but they're only getting five points for making their manure management plan uh, public, and they're only getting 15 points for monitoring groundwater near there. So uh, you know, that's, I think that that's a really important thing that needs to happen. That's the main thing that we use to cite uh, these uh, feeding operations, and I think that's one thing that we really need to work on. Thank you. Ms. Lensing. Thank you. I think that this has come up in the legislature over the last two years in terms of whether we need to revisit the master matrix and maybe redo it a little bit to meet changes and inequities that we have seen since it's been in place. And I think that's certainly something that we should consider. We've also discussed methods of safe farming and ways that farmers can be more proactive so that, that we don't have the runoff that we have or, or pollution incidents that do occur. I think farmers need to be involved in the conversation so that they are not feeling threatened or that we are picking on them. They need to be part of it because they are the ones doing the work. I also think in terms of water quality, we've looked at what can individual citizens do. We sometimes don't realize that it starts with us. We look at what cities can do. We look at, it's a partnership between government and citizens and how to make the water and the soil quality better in our state. Air quality is in there too, and we've talked about that. So it's it's a it's a project we all need to work on together. Thank you both. Again, you'll note we're pivoting from one topic to another, and I appreciate your moving with us on our topics. Next, we are asking, can you see the possibility of an increase to tax credits, state tax credits? for solar and geothermal installations, especially as we see the federal tax credits decreasing? Ms. Lensing, you have the first response. Thank you. You know, yes, I do see that possibility, but I, I think it begs a bigger question. We have so many tax credits that are out there that we don't even keep track of whether they're working or not. So I guess I would encourage the state to look at the existing tax credits before we create more and see if some have lived their life so that we have more dollars available so that we can put them into things that we know are important now like solar and geothermal. It's, it's really difficult, especially at this difficult time with, with dollars not knowing how the dollars will come in for us. And so I think before we start anything new, we need to evaluate what is being done and what's working. I think solar and geothermal are very popular with Iowans. I think that is a worthwhile avenue to go down, but I wanna make sure that we have the dollars to put to it. I hate when we start a program and don't have the money to back it up. So my answer is yes, but, because I think there are pieces we need to put in place before we can start that type of a tax credit. Thank you very much. Ms. Bohannon, your response. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that if we're going to do any tax credits, I think solar is is a really good one. And um, right now, the tax credit we have, I have to give credit. You know, I, I really um, appreciate that we uh, that the Senate did not go through with its proposal to cut uh, the this uh, solar tax credit in 2018. And um, you know, I, I think we really need to encourage alternative energies in Iowa. We're already a leader. We can do a lot more here. This is a real opportunity for Iowa. And the more we have of this, you know, the more we can invite in solar manufacturers and other people to really uh, to, 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 uh, push forward so, uh, alternative energies here. 
Um, you know, the, the solar tax credit is capped at $5 million. That's all we give every year. That is not a lot to do something that's great for climate, great for the environment, and uh, also helps you know individuals cut their, their energy costs. So I think that's a great idea. It's also a really interesting partnership because this was solar uh, manufacturers and people in the solar industry and in green industries combining with the pork uh, producers. That, that's what saved that bill. That's what saved the solar tax credit. We need to look for more opportunities like that where we have collaboration between agriculture and, um, and uh, green energy. Thank you so much. Related, the bottle bill has been significantly debated. The grocery stores are concerned that the bacteria and clutter are negatives. What are your recommendations around this issue? Christina Bohannon. Well, this is obviously something that's been going on for a very, very long time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just an ongoing debate. And I think that, you know, the grocery chains have a lot of, of power and it's been difficult to get a lot done in that area. Um, but I will tell you, I think that we uh, should try to expand that if we can. Uh, we have, you know, there's no reason why the bottle bill should be limited only to carbonated drinks and to alcohol. I think that it really ought to be expanded. Lots of things come in cans and bottles that can be recycled. And so I think that we should push for that. Um, and I think that, you know, there should only be an exception for uh, grocery stores and things like that if there's really truly a, a redemption center very nearby and very convenient. People shouldn't have to drive, you know, an hour or something to, uh, to redeem their, uh, to redeem their uh, bottles and things. If they, you know, if they're trying to do the right thing, trying to recycle them, um, I think that we should make that easier rather than harder. Thank you so much. Vicki Lensing. Thank you. And this is an issue that we were working on this session before we adjourned. Uh, the bottle bill is something that is loved by Iowans and they can't, they would love to see expansion into all the different types of containers that we now have. Grocers are not big fans of it because they feel it's a mandate that they didn't ask for and they don't necessarily have the space to take all of these containers. So I think that we need to work out a partnership. Certainly in rural areas, there are redemption centers and the difficulty is how far it is to drive to one and for, for rural folks to have to hang on to all of their containers until they make that next visit to a redemption center has also been a problem. I think we need to, I, I don't wanna get rid of the bottle bill, but I think we need to figure out a partnership with the redemption centers, the convenience stores, the grocery stores to see how we can make it work. And I know that there's concerns when you live in a border community that there are people from across the, the state line that come with their containers to, re, to dump in our redemption centers, even though they didn't pay the initial nickel. So it's something we need to rehab so that it's in benefit to all of us. Thank you both. What policies does or should the state of Iowa have to guide procedures for government procurement and contracting to ensure opportunities for Iowa companies. This is a bit of a new topic, so I'd like to restate. What policies does or should the state of Iowa have to guide procedures for government procurement and contracting to ensure opportunities for Iowa companies? Our first response from Vicki Lensing. Thank you. I, we have discussed this in the past as, as a legislature, and I think the policies are to be 
perhaps it's unwritten, but that Iowa businesses are to be given consideration. I know there's also been uh, concern about, you know, you do states have to look at the lowest bid or should it be the best bid? And so in terms of policies for, for procurement of anything, I think we need to look at how this is done. Whether it's the lowest price or the best price, whether it's an Iowa company or not, I don't think we have hard and fast rules on that. So it may be time to look at that. I think for many, for many businesses, they would like to see an Iowa business get the nod first. And that does make sense. But I know for, for depending on what type of item it is or service it is, dollars sometimes speak louder. So that is, is something that I think should be, I, I don't know that a law needs to be passed, but maybe a policy needs to be reaffirmed that Iowans Iowa businesses should be given the first look, but it does need to be competitive. And I think that's something that they are supposed to be considering now. Thank you. Christina Bohannon. Yeah, so um, so I, I do think that we should uh, consider Iowa companies first, um, but, but you know, we need to think, we need to rethink uh, what is a good bid. And it's not just about the bottom line. It's not just about the price. You know, there are a lot of things that go into a bid. You know, how how does the company treat its workers? Um, you know, what's what's their safety record uh, on things? You know, all of those kinds of things matter. And uh, this is something that, that labor has been talking about for a while now. Um, and I think it's really something that we need to consider. You know, New York just adopted a, a really interesting um, uh, approach to bidding that that looks at a wide variety of things and not just the sort of bottom line. Um, and so uh, that's something that I think we ought to think about because you know sometimes the the lowest bid means that uh, they're not they're treating their workers as independent contractors instead of regular employees. It might mean that uh, they're they're not uh, treating you know the workers well. It might mean that they take shortcuts on safety and quality. Uh, so those are all things that we uh, that I think we really need to think about in a, in a in a broad based way. And and you know having some a business from Iowa should be part of that. Thank you both. Child care and preschool are important parts of our economic system and birth to five years is a critical period in a child's life and the foundation of their future. What measures do you support for preschool and affordable high quality care? Ms. Bohannon. Great question, so glad you asked it. Um, so that's this is a really important issue uh, and what I, you know, one of the things I did over the last few months is I sat down with people from the Iowa Women's Foundation who are doing a huge project on this around the state. Uh, I talked to Four C's Child Care, um, other things. I've been involved in a local group that's actually looking at how to improve child care in Johnson County. Uh, it's a collaboration with the Iowa City Business Partnership, Iowa City Area Development, um, all these other organizations looking at this. What we know is that child care is a linchpin issue. Um, we have a lot of unfilled jobs in Iowa, but a lot of people won't take the jobs because they don't have adequate childcare that enables them to get out and take those jobs. Um, if we want economic development, if we want business growth, then we need to look at childcare. It's also a women's issue. It's a children's issue. Um, this is something, this is hugely important. Places don't have, you know, childcare is very, very expensive. We need to look for ways to get more childcare providers. We need to treat them like entrepreneurs rather than just babysitters. And this is an area where um, we have a real big opportunity for immigrants too, because we have immigrants who would like to provide this childcare, but they need help and support and training. Thank you both. I'm sorry, thank you, Ms. Bohannon. Ms. Lensing, your response. Thank you. Uh, 
childcare has has also been on one of the front burners for the legislature and and we have not moved as maybe quickly it was an issue that was up for consideration before we were interrupted this past session i appreciate the women's foundation taking the lead on this in terms of their study and i know that that is being used by legislators as they draft legislation or look at policies that we can put into place I think the challenge has been, um, you have a lot of small businesses in Iowa and trying to balance what a small business can do in terms of, of providing childcare with the big businesses has, has been something that we've discussed and trying to find a way so we can help more small business workers connect with childcare. Also in rural areas, childcare is, they, we talk about childcare deserts because there aren't, are not as many providers in more rural areas for workers. I think for the workers, it's it's accessibility and affordability and quality that they are concerned with. And we don't really have any major oversight over any of this. Not that the state should be involved, but I think should assist in it because they are benefits for all of our workers. Thank you both for your responses. We do have time, I believe, for one more question. What is your opinion on the preemption possibility of House File 2502 that changes current law regarding carrying weapons in public buildings? This is House File 2502 that changes current law regarding carrying weapons in public buildings. Yeah, I am. Um, Actually, I'm I sorry, Ms. Bohannon. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Ms. Lensing has the first. I'm eager. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. You know, weapons have been a very controversial topic in the legislature, and, and it tends to be pretty divisive uh, in terms of, of people who are for or against weapons and any policies therein. So it's been difficult to craft what I would say is, is fair legislation on this because it's, it's hard to come to a meeting of the minds and it becomes a very emotional issue. I think that there, there are a lot of challenges that come when we try to pass legislation on weapons. It seems like people have personal issues. They don't, there's those who feel we are infringing on, on their rights. It's trying to make things fair. It's what role does a business have in, in determining whether people can carry coming into their businesses. I know even in the Capitol, it, it's sometimes a, a challenge for us. I think safety and probably education and understanding the second amendment, which gets tossed a lot around and we don't necessarily understand all the rights that that has encapsulated. Thank you so much, Ms. Lensing. Ms. Bohannon, your response. Um, I don't think that we want guns in public buildings. Um, I, uh, my view is that we should uh, pass common sense gun safety legislation like background checks and uh, red flag laws, and uh, that we should defeat any effort to add a gun rights amendment to the Iowa Constitution. And uh, this is something I think that Representative Lensing and I disagree on. Uh, she has said that she would support adding a Second Amendment language to the Iowa State Constitution if that's what Iowans want. Um, and I, I have, with all due respect, I think that's a big mistake. Uh, and here's why. Because if, uh, even if you add just the Second Amendment language itself from the federal constitution into the state constitution. Our state Supreme Court frequently uh, uh, interprets state constitutional language broader than federal constitutional language, even if it's exactly the same language or very similar. We've done it with same-sex marriage and we did it with abortion. 
And I think those were good decisions. But if we did that with gun rights and we added you know, a much broader gun right to the Iowa and we interpreted uh, a Second Amendment language in the Iowa Constitution to be broader, then we're talking about possibly doing away with lots of um, common sense gun safety legislation. And I think that would be a big mistake. Thank you both for all of your responses, your carefully considered thoughts on these diverse range of issues. Each candidate will now have two minutes to make a closing response, beginning with Vicki Lensing. Thank you, and please accept my sincere appreciation for the League of Women Voters to have sponsored this forum and allowed us an opportunity to share some of our views. You know, every session presents new challenges and new issues, and, and this session, which has not ended yet, continues to unfold with new and unanticipated issues that we are having to deal with and hopefully will when we resume our session. As a legislature, legislator, you cannot be an expert on everything. You depend on others to help educate you and keep you apprised of different positions, whether you're an organization or an individual on these issues. So it's important to understand how many sides there can be in an issue before you make a determination for your vote. You rely on relationships for some of these things. You rely on relationships with constituents, with colleagues, both from across the aisle, as well as lobbyists, and the contacts that you've developed under the dome while you've worked in the legislature. I think one of the most important skills that you can have as a legislator is listening. People want to be heard. They want to tell their story. They want to understand why something can or cannot happen or what roadblocks are in the way. So I think it's important for a legislator to be present and listen to what concerns are. I also think we are at a different time now. I, I think with the coronavirus, it has, has definitely switched how we will be looking at things, whether it's work or education or healthcare. I think there are new considerations with this pandemic that we haven't even begun to think through in terms of policy, but also the far reaching effects it will have into the next not only next session, but next year and how this state and this nation will move forward. I want to express my appreciation to all the people who are on the front lines of this, who are working to make the state and the nation continue, whether it's the teachers or the healthcare workers, even the farmers and the day-to-day the -day workers. They are all investing their time and energy trying to keep things going, and I appreciate their efforts. Thank you, Vicki Lensing. Christina Bohannon, your closing remarks. Uh, thanks again to the league and for everybody for being here. Uh, I really do appreciate it. For me, holding elected office is a sacred responsibility. It's a privilege and one that's honored only through full and unbounded commitment to serve and to lead. You know, I think that we're in a very difficult time. Um, coronavirus has laid bare inequities uh, in uh, healthcare, in education, uh, caused by the legislators, legislature's uh, disinvestment in those things. Um, and you know, I think that we are in a new era and it's gonna be crucial that we have very strong leadership. One thing that's been very clear to me as I've gone around talking to people throughout the country, I mean, sorry, throughout the district, uh, is that they believe that this, is a, this office is about way more than just how you vote. Uh, they believe that a representative should show up for all people in the community. They believe that a representative of Iowa City 
the bluest district in the state, should be a leader in the party, to raise money to support Democratic candidates all throughout the state and make the case for progressive legislation. And they are ready to start now in building the future of the Democratic Party and state government in Iowa. There's a lot at stake in this election. And I think that we need change. We need, uh, you know, we need strong leadership now more than ever. As a law professor, an environmental engineer, and a mother, I think that I have the skills, the energy, and the passion that Iowa City needs at this point in time. I hope I've earned your support. I would love you to vote for me on or before June 2nd. Thank you all and be safe. Thank you to both of our candidates and to our timekeeper. The recording of this forum will be available on the Facebook page of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County. In addition, rebroadcasts of the forum will be run on Iowa City Channel 4, Coral Vision, and North Liberty TV. Please see their respective websites for program schedules. We would like to remind you that the views expressed in this forum are those of the candidates and that sponsorship of the forum is not an endorsement of any candidate. In addition, candidates were invited to respond to a set of questions on vote411.org. So we encourage voters to visit that site to learn more about local candidates and their positions. Given the current COVID-19 emergency, we urge you to request an absentee ballot from the auditor's office if you have not already done so. The ballot request form is available at Johnson County Auditor's website and June 2nd is primary day. And 2020 marks the 100-year anniversary of the League of Women Voters and of the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. Thank you to everyone who's joined us, and good evening. <laughs>